Well, good morning. As Jeff already introduced me, my name's Gary Hendrickson. I'm the college pastor here at Great Hills Baptist Church. Some of you are in shock because you didn't even know that we had a college pastor. Hi, it's good to meet you. Uh, I'm really excited. I actually put on some extra polish on my head this morning, just to mess with the camera guys and Corey in the back room. Uh, we're gonna be in Psalm 24. Psalm 24, you wanna go ahead and turn there. Psalm 24 is one of my most favorite psalms. But real quick, I wanna address, is it already has been, but if you're viewing with us online, we are so grateful that you are here with us watching. Please drop us a line, let us know where you're watching from, how we can be praying for you. And to the guests in the room, we are so grateful that you're here also. We know you could be anywhere else, but you're here and you're here with us. We'd love the chance to get to meet you. Myself and some other pastors will be in the coffee shop afterwards. Come by, say hello, especially if you're a college student. I'd love to meet you. And so we're gonna be in Psalm 24 this morning. You wanna go ahead and turn there in your copy of God's Word. You can also follow along with the words on the screen here shortly. Now, whether or not you use Facebook, the story of how the social media giant came into existence is a fascinating story. And I don't know if you're like me, I love true stories, especially if they have some drama peppered in, and this story has plenty of it. So the story of how Facebook came into existence has inspired movies, books, even college lectures over business and computer science are based off of the model given to us in Facebook and how it began. So if you're familiar with Facebook, or more importantly, if you're familiar with the name Mark Zuckerberg, you probably recognize him as the creator and the founder of Facebook. When in reality, Mark Zuckerberg actually stole the idea from fellow students of his while they were all attending Harvard together. In 2003, Mark Zuckerberg was approached by two brothers who wanted to discuss the idea of a social network that they had been developing along with one of their friends. Now, unfortunately for them, Mark Zuckerberg recognized the, the money that could be made in social networking, and he decided to launch the company without them while pretending to be working with them at the same time. Pretty shady, right? So eventually, Mark Zuckerberg would write out all three of the original men behind the idea of Facebook. Not only that, Mark Zuckerberg also wrote out one of his close personal friends who had been helping him raise financial partners when the company was first being started. Mark Zuckerberg did not care who he stepped over on his way to creating the business that we now know as Facebook or also Meta. The story of Facebook is riddled with broken relationships, power struggles, lawsuits, all because one man chose to steal the creative property of others. And in a similar way, human history is also riddled with broken relationships, power struggles, and even litigation because man has attempted to steal the creative property of God. Look with me now at Psalm 24. Beginning at verse one, David, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, 
and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Much like the book of Genesis, Psalm 24 opens up with an introduction of who God is, but it doesn't begin with Jesus, the cross, or an empty grave. Instead, it starts with the creation of the universe, emphasizing that everything is the creative property of God, and there's good reason for this. The, the entire purpose and reason that God is worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise, is the fact that he has created all things. It is the proverbial icing on the cake that God would rescue a rebellious world through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I wanna hit pause for a second before we go too far into God as creator. I want us to take a moment and I want us to think about God and his character. In Psalm 136, verses one through three, we're told that God is good, that he is the God of gods, and that he is the Lord of lords. The fact that God is good is not an insignificant aspect of his character. God is the essence, the standard, and the source of good. So to know what good is means to know God. So if I know God, I know what good is. We're also told that he is the God of gods. So comparatively, there's no one like him. He is the supreme and only true deity that exists. Every other world religion is the imaginative creation of man. And when we make gods in our likeness, they have the same moral and even physical flaws that we have. But there is no one like the God of the Bible. No one. We're also told that he is the Lord of lords. So in addition to being good and the only true deity that exists, he is also the supreme and only true ruler of the universe. God is not in a power struggle for his throne. He has rivals, but he has no equal. There is no one like him. Now, not only is there no one like him, but God does not give up his rule to anyone. He is gracious, he's generous, he allows us as human beings, as his image bearers, to exercise authority over his creation, but he does not give up his throne. Why is that? Well, Hebrews chapter one, verse three gives us a glimpse. Hebrews chapter one, verse three tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So he created it and he sustains it. Not only that, it's his creative property. So it's not enough for us to simply acknowledge that God created everything, that he rules over it, because the first two verses of Psalm 24 tells us that everything in existence is the creative property of God. So he created it, he sustains it, and he owns it. But what does it mean when we read here in Psalm 24 that everything is the creative property of God? I don't mean that as a condescending question. Obviously, we recognize that the word everything means everything, right? But really, what does it mean when we say that everything is the creative property of God? I mean, many of us would point to things such as animals, mountains, oceans, deserts, humanity, and those things would be true. Those things certainly do belong to God. But let's put ourselves under a microscope for a moment. When we say that everything within ourselves belongs to God, what does that mean? 
Well, let's just take a glimpse at this. Our entire genetic makeup belongs to God. All of it. The blood that runs through our bodies belongs to God. The veins that our blood runs through belongs to God. Our hearts that pump our blood through our body belongs to God. Every beat of our heart belongs to God. Our lungs that we breathe with belong to God. The oxygen that we breathe belongs to God. Our voice box, our tongues belong to God, which means that the words that we speak are the rightful property of God. Our brain and every function of the brain belongs to God. Everything about us is his creative property. When you consider that, do you feel small? Do you recognize how helpless we are, how, how much we are at the mercy of someone who is far greater, far more powerful than you and I ever will be? And if you have that perspective, what I would say is good. That is a right perspective. But then I would also remind you that God is good, that he is the God of gods, and he's the Lord of lords. We do not have to fear him as our God. We don't have to fear the fact that he has ultimate and supreme and total control. We can rest in that. These things are encouraging, and even more so when we realize and recognize that this supreme deity that owns every single thing in existence wants a personal relationship with you and I. That's why David asks a really important question through the leading of the Holy Spirit in verse three. Look back at verse three with me. He asks this question that says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Now, just to be clear, God's not in need of anything. He's not needing for us to bring him something. He's not calling up a plumber. He's not calling up an electrician. He's not trying to hit up Uber Eats to get some takeout. God does not need anything. He wants us. And he wants us to enjoy him because he's the very best that life has to offer. There is nothing greater than God himself. And he wants to be in relationship with you and I. But there's, there's a big problem in front of us. There's some really strict standards for those who can be in the presence of God, for who can ascend the hill of the Lord. And those standards, those requirements are given to us in verse four. So look at verse four. It says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. This is the requirement for being able to stand in the presence of God. Let's break this down. So if we're to have clean hands, we must be completely innocent in all of our outward actions. Every single one. If we're to live our lives with a pure heart, we must be completely innocent in the secret desires of our heart and the thoughts of our minds. Some of you just blushed. It's okay. I'm there with you. If we're going to keep our souls from what is false, we must never love anything or anyone more than God. And if we're to live a life that's free of deceit, we must always live in right relationship with others. Now, if you didn't feel small before when we were looking at how God owned every aspect of us 
as his creative property, everyone feels small now because there's not a single person in this room that meets those qualifications. There's not one of us that can stand up and say, no, I've got this, I'm good. Show me where the hill's at, I'll climb it. All of us are guilty of sin. All of us are incapable of meeting these standards unless that is Christ has met them on your behalf. If you're a follower of Christ, what has happened to you then is that you have been declared righteous and innocent in the eyes of God. And when we come into right relationship with God, we get to enjoy his creative blessings. Look at verses five and six. Verses five and six, Psalm 24 says, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Now we might jump to the conclusion that what David is trying to tell us is that those who meet the requirements of verse four are rewarded with righteousness and salvation. But we know that's not true because every single person in this room is guilty of sin. There's no room for recovery. We have fallen too far short. So then how can my life be ransomed, be rescued from the hopeless wreck that I have made it? And the answer to that question is Jesus. Jesus. A really interesting statement is made, and it's in verse six. So look, look back at verse six. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So this means that the, the declaration of verse six is that those who seek God are saved by him and declared righteous in his sight. And then the blessings that we receive are verse, of verse five are the ones that, that by seeking God in faith, him declaring us to have clean hands, a pure heart, and to have souls that have never been given over to deceit or loved anyone or anything more than him. And it's all because of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 tells us that for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Literally, the father made the son to become sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. Jesus takes my sin and he gives to me his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. It's the greatest exchange. There's nothing comparative to it. My sin for the righteousness of Christ, sign me up. That's an incredible offer, a promise. And this is an invitation to anyone and everyone to believe and hope in Jesus Christ for salvation. You think you have a broken, sin-riddled life? Jesus will take that from you. And in exchange, he'll give you his righteousness. You think that you're beyond recovery? Jesus will give you his righteousness and he will take your brokenness and your despair. Jesus is our hope. And not only that, not only is our hope, not only is our confidence for salvation, Jesus also is a good shepherd to lead and guide those who belong to him. When we come into right, right relationship 
with the Father through his son, Jesus Christ, we get to experience the creative lordship of Jesus. Look at verses seven through 10. David continues, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. There's a really interesting fact about this psalm. So ancient temple records, temple records tell us that, that Psalm 24 was actually used in synagogues in ancient Jerusalem to start off the week in worship. So that means that there's a very strong possibility that on Palm Sunday, in synagogues throughout Jerusalem, priests and temple goers were gathered together and they were reading aloud, reciting aloud this psalm while Jesus is riding into the city on a donkey. And no doubt there are probably people who left the temple who ran out and also greeted him, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they laid down their cloaks and they waved palm branches and they celebrated the entrance of Jesus. But by the week's end, they'd be crying, crucify him. Think about that. They praised him with their lips. They gave him adoration with their voices. But they never actually let Jesus into their hearts. There's another really interesting thing that David is playing on with the phrase, be lifted up, O ancient doors. It was Jewish tradition that whenever you had a guest that came into your home, you would remove your door literally from the hinges and you would set it to the side so that the guests could come and go as they pleased. Nothing hindered them from coming into the house or leaving the house. They were free to do and roam as they pleased. Have you lifted up the door to your heart to Jesus? Are you singing praises to him and proclaiming him as your Lord and Savior while holding tight the door to your heart? What would you do if you had a fire at your house? You'd call the fire department, right? So imagine if I had a fire in my house. I called up the fire department, they showed up. I'm like, guys, I am so glad that you are here. Whew, what a relief. Y'all got the entire house. Just do me a favor, stay out of the kitchen. The fire department probably, is the fire in the kitchen? It is. I've got it under control. So y'all got the whole house. I've got this. Y'all have at it. Sir, don't you think we should put out the fire? I mean, we've got the equipment. We've got the training. Like, shouldn't we do our job? No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But I, I, I've got the kitchen. If I did something like that, my house would burn to the ground. It would, it would inflict suffering on myself, on my wife, on my children, on my neighbors, those who know me and love me. And in a similar way, if there is unrepentant sin in your life, if you're a follower of Christ and, and there's sin that you're holding on to and you're trying to manage in secret and you're trying to fight it alone and you think that you've got it all under control, 
Jesus, you can have my whole house, but, but don't go in the kitchen. You got my whole house, but, but this, I've got it. I, I, I know I'm weak and I know I'm struggling, but I've got it. And Jesus is just looking at you like, bro, I saved you. I'm in the business of rescuing, redeeming, and perfecting broken people. Why would you withhold this from me? Surrender to my lordship. Oftentimes, as Christians, we don't surrender to the lordship of God because we fear him. We fear relinquishing control because, man, there's no way that God could have my good in mind. There's no way that God could have my best in mind. But we saw in Psalm 136 that God is good, that he is the God of gods and he is the Lord of lords. He is strong enough, power enough, powerful enough and desiring also to put your sin to death, to help you fight the fight and to walk in newness of life. He's desiring to do that with you. And so we don't, when we don't relinquish control, we're literally fighting our savior. We're saying, I trust you, Lord, but not completely. Don't fight the Savior. Don't hold back your life. Don't think that your good is better than God's best. If you have not come to faith in Christ and you're sitting in here and you're recognizing that every aspect of your existence is the creative property of God and that you belong to him, whether you have surrendered your heart or not, trust him. He will declare you to have clean hands, a pure heart. He will declare you to be in right relationship with him. He will see you through the righteousness of Christ and he will welcome you into his presence. Not just in the life to come, but now. Are you tired of the struggle? Are you tired of feeling beat down and weak? Run to Jesus. Do not believe for a moment that you on your own are better, wiser, more powerful than your precious creator who created you in his likeness to display his glory for your good. It's not by accident that you are his pinnacle of creation. It's not by accident that he bestowed upon you his image. It just, oh, you know what? I, I got nothing else to do, so I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna dump it out on them. Congratulations, guys. You got my image. No, God is Intentional. If he created all things and all things are so intricate and detailed, I mean, have you just, have you tried to study the human eye? The human eye is so complex. Have you looked at creation? Creation itself is so complex. My family and I, we visited Yellowstone in 2021 in May, 2021. And uh, if you've ever been there and you've smelled the sulfur from the hot springs, you know that it reeks to high heaven, but it's beautiful, right? And then you realize, wait, I'm standing on top of a super volcano. <laughs> I literally came on vacation to somewhere that could just kill me. God orchestrated all of that and he's sustaining it by the word of his power. 
He's keeping it from falling apart. If he can sustain a super volcano, surely he can sustain and manage the complexities of your life. I've got a gift for y'all. I'm done. <laughs> right? Guest preacher and I finished 15 minutes early. There we go. <laughs> so, in closing though, if you are not a follower of Christ and you have not surrendered to Jesus, he wants to take your sin. He wants to give you his righteousness. If you are a Christian and you are fighting the lordship of Christ, do not withhold from him because he is good. He wants to give you victory and he wants to lead you well. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you that you are the God of gods that there is no one comparatively like you, that you are not in a power struggle for control, that you are just and that you are supreme. We praise you, Lord, that you are good and that you use your goodness for our benefit. Lord, we praise you that you are faithful and that you are kind and, Lord, that you work all things together for the good of those who know you. Lord, would you help us, help us to surrender to your lordship, Help us to trust that you, Lord, are indeed good. Help us to trust that you indeed do have our best in mind. Help us to trust that, that you are powerful enough, strong enough, gracious enough, merciful enough, gentle enough to handle the brokenness, to handle the idols that we struggle with. Help us to look to you Lord, we pray these things trusting in your precious name, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.